This is Tom Fox. I think everyone knows of my love for classic monster movies. I've blogged about them, I have podcasts about them, I've talked about them, and I've decided for the month of October, I'm going to mine great monsters, great mad scientists, and some of these creations for leadership lessons for compliance practitioners. So over the month of October on Popcorn and Compliance, I'm going to feature Frankenstein, the Wolfman, the Mummy, Count Dracula, perhaps the Invisible Man, perhaps some mad scientist. It's going to be a fun exploration of a topic that uh, I thoroughly enjoy and is certainly near and dear to my heart. I hope you will join me as today we take up Frankenstein. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. It's been over 200 years since Mary Shelley published Frankenstein or the Modern Prometheus. Due to the mores of the times, Mary Shelley was not listed as the author in the first edition, but she was listed as the author in subsequent editions. The book and the 1931 movie are two of uh, the most read and watched Uh, books and movies about monsters. The story of Shelley's creation of the book is equally fantastic. During the rainy summer of 1816, Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin, aged 18, and her lover and later husband, Percy B. Shelley, visited Lord Byron at the Villa Diodate by Lake Geneva in Switzerland. The weather was consistently too cold and dreary that summer to enjoy the outdoor holiday activities they had planned, so the group retired indoors until dawn. Shelley later noted that sitting around a log fire at Byron's villa, he proposed that they each write a ghost story. During one evening in the middle of the summer, they discussed the discussions turned to the nature of the principle of life, and Shelley came up with the idea that a corpse could be reanimated, and from this idea sprang the story Frankenstein. While the book is much different than the movie, most people became more familiar with the story through the movie. Uh, Obviously, Boris Karloff's portrayal of the monster was imbued with great pathos and is probably the signature feature of the movie. In the movie, the good doctor Victor Frankenstein, played by the always in pain Colin Clive, becomes obsessed with the reanimation of life. He and his trusted servant Igor use electricity to bring back an executed prisoner to life. The reanimated man is simply known as the monster, and as I noted, is played by Boris Karloff with great pathos. He is mute in the first movie, but he spoke in subsequent films. The monster is misunderstood, then tormented to the point where he strikes out in the only way he knows through violence. The most touching scene is his inadvertent drowning of a young girl, Maria, with with whom he is playing. The most horrific is his attack, and indeed rape, of Dr. Frankenstein's wife on their wedding day. 
Maria's father arrives into town carrying his daughter's dead body, dead due to drowning. The villagers form a search party to capture the creature, determined to mete out revenge. They search for the monster, and during the search, Frankenstein becomes separated from the group and is discovered by the creature who attacks him. The monster knocks Dr. Frankenstein unconscious and carries him off to an old mill and is thrown from the top where he is thrown from the top by the monster. Miraculously, Dr. Frankenstein's fall is broken by the veins of the windmill. The mob, seeing this sight, sets the windmill ablaze, killing the entrapped monster inside, well, at least until the first sequel. I want to consider the leadership lessons of Dr. Victor Frankenstein, or really the lack of leadership lessons for you in this podcast. It led to the deaths of the small child Maria, Victor's brother, the rape of his wife-to-be on their wedding day. Of course, it also led to the unleashing of the monster, technically called Frankenstein's monster, upon the movie World going forward for years to come. At a lecture at Indiana University's Kelly School Business of Medicine, Dr. Richard Gunderman explored leadership lessons of Frankenstein. He began by asking, what do we mean by leadership? He went on to add, that's a question we'll never probably bring to complete closure, nor should we, because it's a question that each generation asks of future leaders and they need to wrestle for with themselves. Gunnerman asserted that leadership is fundamentally not an economic, commercial, or academic exercise, but rather an ethical issue. Victor Frankenstein recoils in horror at what he's created. That may be a powerful lesson for leaders. Leadership is a matter of morals and ethics and human character. Who do you admire and what do you admire about that person? That's the core of leadership. Gunderson went on to pose the question, in what sense are you responsible for what you create or cause to be created as a leader? How deep, how wide, how far does your responsibility extend? Gunderman had another interesting insight about this lack of love and empathy for his own creature by the doctor, where he said it was a cautionary tale for today's leader's as it weaves a narrative of a leadership gone bad. He then asked, what if I said love is an essential element of great leadership? Might you respond as Gunderman did rhetorically? That's absurd. But then he went on to note, Mary Shelley invites us to take seriously the possibility that no amount of theoretical brilliance, technical know-how, or wizardry in the laboratory can ever compensate or ever come to good with the absence of love. Gunderman concluded his remarks by noting that Frankenstein was navigating by the wrong compass needle. He challenged business leaders with the following. When the chips are down and the light is fading, what do you look to as the guide to determine the direction you ought to be proceeding? He concluded by stating Victor Frankenstein realized only too late that he had forgotten what demands our loyalty the most. He was irresponsible. If the cost of preserving something is so high, we have to forget everything else. 
Frankly, that's not a price worth paying. I hope you will consider just how impactful you can be as a leader, such as a chief compliance officer. Recall that Wells Fargo's downfall started with the simple ditty created by the bank's president, John Stump, quote, eight is great. That alone led to a marketing campaign where the bank tried to fraudulently sell banking products or services to every customer and all employees were simply judged on those on this maxim that eight is great. You might also think about Mary Shelley and those dark nights on Lake Geneva because the theater of the imagination is the theater of the mind. If you can imagine it, well, you can probably create it just as Mary Shelley did. It's a great way of saying that as a chief compliance officer, your only limitation is really your own imagination. So if you can imagine a way to create a better compliance program, you can put one together. I hope you'll take the time to rewatch the original Frankenstein at some point in the month of October as I'm dedicating this entire month to great monsters and their creators and seeing what lessons we can all learn from them. I hope you'll join me in my next exploration where we take a look at Count Dracula. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Popcorn and Compliance. I hope you'll join Richard and I again as we continue to explore leadership lessons from classic Oscar-winning movies. I'd also like to tell you about a great new podcast series which has premiered on the Compliance Podcast Network. That's The Corruption Files, where with Hughes Hufford partner Mike D. Bernardis, we take a look at some of the top anti-corruption compliance enforcement actions across the globe. It's a great review of enforcement actions, literally 15 years old and coming forward, what they meant then and what they continue to mean now, all on the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.